Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Wall Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metzer. We have a great guest who's kind enough to return to the show. Uh, Professor Anne Margaret Daniel teaches at the New School in New York City, also at Bard College on Annandale on the Hudson. Her essays have appeared uh, about music, literature, and books in such places as the New York Times, Hot Press, The Spectator, and No Depression. She knows quite a bit about F. Scott Fitzgerald and a man we're going to be talking about tonight, another Minnesota writer by the name of Bob Dylan, who's got a great new record out called Rough and Rowdy Ways. She's a very smart lady. She's got degrees in American history and English from Harvard, a master's from Georgetown, and a Ph.D. from Princeton. How she had enough time in her young life to get fit all that in, she'll have to let us know. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, the new record, uh, Dylan's new masterpiece, Rough and Rowdy Ways, and more. Anne, how are you today? I'm fine, Paul. Thank you so much for inviting me to be on your show again. Well, we uh, I got such great response uh, from people that heard the show when you were on a couple of weeks ago, and I personally... Uh, was just so intrigued and loved what you had to say with your uh, with your background in literature and poetry. Uh, you have a certain insight into Bob Dylan that I don't think uh, a lot of other of us, other of us have, and so it's nice to have that historical connections with the way you could pull it together. Well, that that's very kind of you to say so, Paul, and I'm I'm just glad people enjoyed listening. You know what? Uh, yesterday was the. It's hard to believe the 55th anniversary of "Like a Rolling Stone," the song that really, the song that really, in a way, changed uh, American culture, rock and roll, songwriting, and the way people uh, looked at what rock and roll was all about. Uh, from "Moon Spoon in June" to all of a sudden a six-minute, six or seven-verse, uh, incredible song written and performed by a. 24-year-old kid who was, they knew him as a year or two before as a folk singer. Did, uh, yeah. you're, now you're, you're a little younger than me. Do you, when did you remember hearing Like a Rolling Stone for the first time? You know, I, Paul, I wish I could remember hearing it for the first time. Um, I can't. Uh, it's like I can't remember, honestly cannot remember reading The Great Gatsby or uh, Big Two-Hearted River, which is my favorite story by today's birthday boy, uh, Ernest Hemingway. Okay. I can't remember any of those for the first time. I can, I, 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 what I can say is I can't remember not knowing like Rolling Stone. It's just, it's something that was part of my soundtrack from the time I first started being conscious of music. Um, my parents were, I was an only child and my parents were both academics. Um, my mother came from a family in western North Carolina that was very musical. Uh, all of them played instruments, all of them sang, you know, ballads and uh, mountain music, old folk music. My father was a, a collector of folkways, so oh, really? I had all, all the old folkways albums at my disposal from the time I was a kid. And I, I just, I can't remember not knowing about Dylan and not knowing this one song that really... I suppose kind of busted him out of from folk into rock with such a bang. It's but one of the things that I really love about the box set that came out a few years ago, the the official bootleg called the Cutting Edge, mm-hmm. that includes all the all the formative takes of Like a Rolling Stone. 
you can literally hear the song going from folk to rock. Mm-hmm. You can hear it starting out with this kind of rocking chair ballad. Um, you hear Tom Wilson, the producer's voice. He slates it, um, CO86446, like a Rolling Stone, <laughs> one. And then it just goes into this slow motion. Da, 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 da. It's almost like a two step. It's, it's an old Texas two step. And then, you know, then they, you know, the takes just ensue and ensue. Bob has to stop at one point because he's coughing. He stops at one point because he flubs the words. And eventually, um, thanks to the power, mostly of Cooper's organ line and Bobby Gregg's amazing, that snap drum beat mm-hmm. that starts the song that is just something to take home forever play it loud um, get, right play it loud yeah you get yeah you get the final re- released version of what really is just a magical powerful song you know, always will be you know it was uh, i always assumed that dylan just went into the studio did two or three takes found the take he liked and moved on to the next tune and when these bootleg versions uh, of these different sessions started coming out. I go, man, now I realize what he did an interview years ago. I said, yeah, going in the studio is like going into the coal mine because he would work some of these just yeah. 10, 15, 20 times back to back. Well, that that's a really good analogy, going down in the mine um, where it's dark as a dungeon. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, of course, his, the, the musicians who played with him, the ones who had talked about it, like Cooper, um, they they said that that's what it was like, you know, and it's just it's amazing to hear. I'm so grateful for those. Uh, really, they were the first box set, mm-hmm. um, I guess, in the music business, starting with uh, with Biograph and such. But I'm really I'm so grateful to to hear those songs taking shape. I'm primarily an archival scholar. It's uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's wonderful for me, at least, to go down into the bowels of a big research library or or a private archive and just go through drafts. That's what I do. And so to be able to do that orally, you know, through your ears and just hear, literally hear Dylan writing a song is fantastic. Like a Rolling Stone is special because, of course, he actually wrote that. That took shape and then it was recorded during pretty much a break from the Newport Folk Festival, right? Mm-hmm. He, he left Newport and went down to New York and uh, and did a couple of days of recording and then came back up to the, to the festival, at least that's my recollection. So, I mean, it, it literally came out, it, it burst out of folk and uh, just, you know, still one of the great rock and roll songs of the 1960s. Yeah, of, if not of all time. Well, sure. <laughs> you know, uh, you know it's funny, and I was uh, first of all let's let's talk about those box sets for a bit because yeah. Dylan has this incredible uh, blind side to him where he leaves off some of his greatest songs off the record. Case in point, Biograph when it came out in nineteen eighty five. Uh, what a beautiful uh, version of "I'll Keep It with Mine." Yeah, that that was amazing. And, you know, things that he chose not to put on albums range from, you know, Up to Me, uh, Abandoned Love, songs that, songs that would have made a whole career for another musician. But for some reason, and who knows what reason, um, he chose 
not to put them on a particular album. Um, I worked a lot with the Blood on the Tracks notebooks, which are in the Bob Dylan archive out in Tulsa. And, you know, there were songs that he started that he completed that he chose not to put on Blood on the Tracks. They didn't fit with the project or whatever the work of art was that he wanted that individual album to be. And so he left them off. Or, you know, there's a version that is gorgeous, but let's say, you know, Blood on the, Blood on the Tracks slash Blood on the Tapes. That was, that was one of the original, you know, one of the original bootlegs, as you know, being Minnesotan, um, the Minnesota sessions, the New York sessions. Oh, yeah. Which do you put on? Which do you leave off? And um, what was put on and what was left off? I mean, they're equally gorgeous. Yeah. It's just, it creates it creates a record with a different kind of sound, and that was his choice at the time. I'm just grateful that, uh, that you know, the powers that be, um, in terms of Dylan's, uh, Dylan's, um, offices and Sony, Sony Legacy Columbia have decided to release these box sets so that people can have more rather than, you know, just, just one thing. <laughs> well, uh, whoever decided to leave, uh, Blind Willie McTell off Infidel sh- should be shot <laughs> right between the eyes. Uh, but the other thing, going back yeah. to Biograph, uh, the, the tune that I just absolutely loved, and I heard it, uh, I heard Arlo Guthrie's version was Percy's song. Mm-hmm, I just mm-hmm. absolutely loved that version. We've got Anne Margaret Daniel on, a professor. Uh, she knows more about Bob Dylan than Bob Dylan, and she knows a lot about F. Scott Fitzgerald and other writers. We're going to be talking about Rough and Rowdy Ways and a lot about Bob Dylan. We're just going to see uh, wherever this conversation goes. It's going to be like a Bob Dylan recording session. We're going to listen to little Bob and come back uh, for three more sets with Professor Daniel. Welcome back to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metzer. My guest, Professor Anne Margaret Daniel, is uh, just a fountain of knowledge about uh, literature and music and American culture. We're talking about Bob Dylan and uh, the tributaries that became the river that is Bob tonight. Now, Anne, I uh, reread yesterday. I'm a, a devoted follower of yours on Twitter, and I reread the review you did for No Depression about the uh, Cutting Edge series, the Bob Dylan bootleg series from, what was that, 2012? Uh, 2012 was 20, 2012 or 15, was it? Something like that. But you know what, I have to say, and, uh, when you know, as you kind of mentioned in that review, you know, uh, rock and roll criticism and reviewers were primarily men until really Ellen Willis came on the scene. And um, Ellen, Ellen Willis is my patron saint. Oh, she, Always has been, always will be. 
she's one of the most tremendous. Not, I, I'm not going to limit her as a music writer. She's one of the most tremendous writers. And uh, I'm proud to say the uh, University of Minnesota Press that put out my book, Blue Guitar Highway, nine or ten years ago, also did a great, right about the same time my book was coming out, they put out an Ellen Willis anthology. Uh, yeah, it's beautiful writing, really, really ahead of its time. The one thing I really enjoyed what you alluded to, well, you didn't allude to it, you just said it out loud in your review, was... This whole thing, you know, men have the approach, Dylan, some of them have for whatever levels. But there's certain things about women's approach to Bob Dylan. I know this because I have uh, uh, female friends of mine that are huge Bob Dylan fans. Some want to mother him. Some want to marry him. Uh, my niece, when she got turned on to Dylan when she was 15 or 16, just took her mother to two shows out on the uh, East Coast this fall, would have gone on the road and when she turned 18, would have married him. She just completely fell in love with him. But you had a great way of talking about not only was Dylan's music cool, but he had such a great look and a kind of a handsome cat. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is the, this is, let's, let's not just limit it to, uh, to the, the way cool Dylan of 1965-66, who may I remind you was, you know, like a, a married guy and a young father. Mm-hmm. So uh, he's uh, he's he's definitely off the market there at that point, but um, but he's uh, he's certainly he's he's an immensely attractive performer and personality. Mm-hmm. He always has been, you know, with the the the, the changing looks that he's got. Um, the you know, it's all down to the intelligence. It's a really a really smart guy with a way with words. Always going to be attractive. To and play and plays guitar. And, uh, oh yeah, the guitar always helps. <laughs> you know, but... um, someday, someday, however, he'll get credit for being the piano player that he is. He is an amazing, like jazz hands piano player. Oh, really fantastic pianist. Oh yeah, when I uh, when I saw him at the Sum in Mankato, Minnesota, in October 2019, and then out at the Beacon Theater in December of the same year. Uh, mm-hmm. It was so fun to see him standing up at that upright piano, uh, bopping just like Jerry Lee Lewis or Little Richard. And a, a friend of mine named Dick Cohn, who uh, met Bob at Camp Herzl and went to uh, the Jewish youth, youth camp in Webster, Wisconsin, went to camp for several summers with uh, Bob and, and uh, their good friend Larry Keegan. I'm honored to say he was mm-hmm. a very good friend of mine. He said that's exactly... Oh. So after I saw him, uh, Dick and Mankato, he said, that's exactly how Bob was when he used to come down to St. Paul when he was in 14 and 13, 14 and 15 years old and play at parties. And he named some, somebody's base, some lady's basement, some girl's basement. And he said, that's exactly what I remember. And 55 years later, nothing's changed, right? Oh, it's, you know, he, one of the questions that people seem to be asking a lot is, why is Dylan still out on the road touring? Why is he still out on the road touring? You know, I'm I'm mournful right now that because of this hideous pandemic um, and its dangers, we're not able to be out following him and his band around this summer as they start playing some songs off the new record and a mix of things all the way from Bob Dylan and Another Side to, to Tempest. Um, but 
he's, he'll, he'll be back on the road when it's safe to have concerts again. I have no doubt of that. He just, he really does seem to enjoy performing, or else why would he do it? Well, and it's, 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 such, it's such a wonder that we're able to go out and listen to him. You know what I've always loved when I, and I've, I don't know how many times I've seen him over the years, 25 to 40, something like that. Um, mm. He still, he plays those three-note guitar solos. <clears throat> He's a phenomenal acoustic guitar player, great strummer, great finger picker. He plays those elect- those same three-note <laughs> electric guitar solos in every tune. I'm not sure if he ever got any better than he was when he, when he was 13 years old, but what I love about it, he plays it with the, the same glee and joy that he was when he was 13. He'll go he'll go side by I saw this great thing on YouTube about a year ago. They're doing Don't Think Twice, It's All Right. With Eric Clapton, and Eric Clapton's Eric Clapton, and Bob's playing those same three notes going shoulder to shoulder, head to head with Eric Clapton, and uh, loving all of it. It's just he, he's never lost that joy that I don't think uh, – uh, he's never lost the joy that he's had since he was a kid and started to play it. He, he certainly doesn't seem to have. That's, that's absolutely what you see on stage. We are going to listen to uh, a song – off the uh, new record called uh, False, the new record's called Rough and Rotted Ways. The song's called False Prophet. 30 seconds or less gives a little intro into this tune and Mark with Daniel. Oh, False Prophet. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a, what can I say? It's, it's a strange kind of. You know those old, the old ballads that are riddle songs? Mm-hmm. You're familiar with the old ballad that's like, you know, they, they give you a series of questions, they give you a series of questions without really answering them. This is, this is in a style of that. It, 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 um, it's a really punchy I. It's like, I do this, I do that. This is what I am. It's kind of a personal manifesto, mm-hmm. you know, um, I'm the enemy of the unlived, meaningless life. Uh, I know how it happened. I saw it begin. I go where only the lonely can go. Uh, there's, a, there's a whole lot of self-proclamation in here. But it's, you know, is that false prophecy? <laughs> it's the, the speaking voice in this song, like all the songs on this record, is so strong and so full of fire and... And uh, danger, really. Yeah, so let's talk about that in the next two sets. I want to talk about the danger and and the foreboding that that, uh, is all over this record. But yes, the uh, enemy of a meaningless life, that to me is kind of the the statement on this whole record. We'll be back with Anne Margaret Daniel for two more sets on the Wall of Power Radio War. First, a little Bobby Dylan. Another day they don't end, another ship going out. Another day of anger, bitterness, and doubt. I know how it happened. I saw it begin. I opened my heart to the world, and the world came Hello, Mary Lou. Radio 
back with the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metz. My guest for the whole show tonight, so lucky to have her back for the second time. And we're going to have her a third time, too, because this uh, Dylan record, Rough and Ronnie Ways, has so many layers to it that uh, you just can't get through it in a show or two. And um, I was up in Duluth, actually, at the Duluth Armory, where uh, last weekend my friend Nelson French is uh, leading a charge to rehab it. And I stood at the same spot. Uh, young Bob Zimmerman and his buddy Louis Kemp stood right in front of the stage to see Buddy Holly. Supposedly, wow. the, the myth goes that that's where the the torch was was passed. Uh, but I went to uh, West Duluth, which is really kind of coming around back where mm-hmm. Abe Zimmerman uh, used to work when he was uh, uh, working for Standard Oil, whatever oil company he was working. Um, and a friend of mine. Chelsea, we had a cup of coffee out on the street, and I asked her if she had heard the new record, and, and she said something I thought was really interesting. She goes, yes, it reminds me a cross between Time Out of Mine and Twin Peaks. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was brilliant, you know, because there's this really there's this really kind of spacey, dark, foreboding vibe in this whole thing. Well, I yeah, there there is. Um, these this is an album very well suited, uh, too well suited for our dark times. Um, it's it's unsettling. It's very concordant with what's going on in the world. It feels to me, but you know, there's also the comfort of having a whole bunch of new Bob Dylan songs. Right. So even even in the even in the darkness, uh, it's like going to see Hamlet or something. You know, even in the darkness, you take comfort. Right. <laughs> and to me, to me, it's more of a cross. I, I like I like the reference to Time Out of Mind, the echo of Time Out of Mind, and um, and perhaps. You know, a little bit love and fast as well, mm-hmm. um, but certainly time out of mind. But it it definitely is a brand new album that stands separately and on its own. It's it's part of it's part of a progression. I think the way that I've started thinking about this album and about Dylan's albums in general, they feel to me like cantos of an epic. Mm-hmm. Um, they tell they tell very different. Stories. They come from different times in his life, but listening to all of his albums together is—I it, mean—it's like reading the Odyssey. Mm-hmm. You know, it's—it's it's, it's like the different the different um, sections, the different books, if you will, of of a long epic that does have continuity, that does have connection and continuity. So, you know, absolutely fair play that it reminds your friend of Time Out of Mind. Um, <laughs> as for the Twin Peaks, you know that's. That's great, yeah. It's uh, it's it's got so many cultural reference in it already mm-hmm. that that something like that is um, is a logical sort of an addition. To me, though, it feels a lot more like uh, not even Renaissance, but not even Renaissance tragedy. But it it reaches back into both classical tragedies and histories. And most let's let's face it, most of the history plays you can think of. Um, are also tragedies, you know. Mm-hmm. You watch you watch Shakespeare, Shakespeare's history. You know, Richard the Third is a history play. It's also a hell of a tragedy. Mm-hmm. Macbeth, history play, tragedy. King Lear, you know, all all the great tragedies are also histories. Um, and every history, every life story, ends definitionally in a tragedy. It ends in death. So, um, so it's yeah, it's it's logical, I think, and really kind of. 
in a strange way, comforting, human-wise, mm-hmm. to feel those kind of connections in the art that Dylan's making these days. You know, I've I've so enjoyed listening to it now probably a dozen times. Uh, I'll listen to a boombox on, on, uh, on a, a dock in northern Minnesota on Lake Vermilion. I've listened to uh-huh. it in my truck right. several times, driving back and forth. I've listened to it at home, drinking martinis. And I have to say this <laughs> record, every time I hear it, I hear something new. I hear something I love. I said, oh, I thought I loved this. I really love this part. You know, I re- I'm really digging this tune. It, it's really, uh, it has a lot of depth. I think I read something, I've read a lot of reviews on it. And uh, one guy, I think, kind of nailed it. He said, this is one of the most intelligent rock and roll records ever made. Well, it's, uh, it's, it's certainly the right thing to do to note Dylan's intelligence because, you know, we live in a day and age, and I, I, I don't mean this entirely the way it's going to come out because I, I find some of these tunes very danceable and, and lots of fun, but we live in a day and age where a consortium of writers will sit around and they will collaborate on some pop song. Right. Right. And and the the lyrics, to put it mildly, the lyrics are not often very sophisticated. Um, they're laced with profanity. There's lots of oohs and bops and baby babies, all of which are good. But you know, it's it's not something like they threw everything at me, everything in the book. I had nothing to fight with but a butcher's hook. They had no. <laughs> They never live a hand, lend a hand. I can't sing a song that I don't understand. Goodbye, Jimmy Reed. Goodbye and good luck. I can't play the record because my needle got stuck. <laughs> but you know what? You can you can dance to that. You can dance your butt off to that. But man, that is a smart stanza, isn't it? <laughs> well, and the thing is too, uh, there's some really funny lines on this record. Uh, you know the one that's Dylan is, Dylan is never given credit for his sense of humor. You know he he can be funny as anything, and he's got some great jokes in here. You know, didn't play guitar behind my head, and you know he's 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 kind of. It reminds me a little of watching Muhammad Ali in his very youth at very mm-hmm. time. Dylan really does lyrically in this album. He floats like a butterfly and he stings like a bee. Mm-hmm. He's just kind of dancing. He's dancing around and he'll give you a little kind of passing kiss and then he'll give you a punch right there between the ribs. Right. And it's 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 fun. Just you know, you don't have to you don't have to fall to your knees and say. Oh my God! He's the voice of a generation and the voice of every generation. His lyrics and his songs have changed my life. Like you can also enjoy them. You can also laugh at them. Mm-hmm. You can also enjoy his sense of humor, and and that's something that you know. Apart from also genuflecting, which is which is appropriate. <laughs> um, that's something I wish more people would do and more people would get. It's like, it's okay to laugh at Dylan, I think, for a lot of people, or to laugh with him, I suppose, because he's the one making the joke. Um, you know, it's, it's easy to chuckle when, when he says, uh, you know, my friend John, Brigitte Bardot, Sophia Loren, Anita Eckberg, country will grow, right? Right. You can kind of chuckle at that. Um, 
you know, make love to Elizabeth Taylor, catch hell from Richard Burton. He, he you, you can laugh at that. He's, he's had jokes in his songs from the very beginning, which if you think about the folk tradition he came from, folk songs are full of like really almost dad joke, bad laugh, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, and that's, that's a tradition that, you know, I think he learned from a variety of musicians, certainly from the wonderful Trinity um, of your neck of the woods, Kerner, Ray, and Glover. Oh, yeah. And, and from the kind of songs that, that those three men, boys at the time, taught Dylan, um, to Liam Clancy, who loved a good joke song and loved a good joke. And various other, you know, musicians he's encountered and, and uh, people he's listened to. Certainly the literature from which he quotes in his own lyrics if you go back and read some of the things that Dylan has obviously written, and you can see, you know, people from Scott Warmoth to Richard Thomas have pulled out allusions, uh, classical allusions, contemporary allusions. Um, Robert Polito has written about, you know, 19th century American poetry that Dylan has used in his, in his songs. Um, if you go back and read the kind of stuff that Dylan's reading, there are a lot of jokes in those texts as well. I mean, cla- classical literature, Ovid and and Homer and Virgil, they're they're not to be re- again. It's not like reading in a church. You don't read them with a poker face. They're human and they're vital and they're damn funny. Um, in in the song, Go in ahead. the song Black Rider, uh, Black Rider, Black Rider, which is uh, one of my favorites on Rough and Rowdy Ways. Um, Warmus noted that Dylan quotes a line from Juvenal, from Juvenal satires, the 16 satires, and he paraphrases it a bit. The line is, uh, it's gotten some attention, the size of your cock will get you nowhere, right? <laughs> and, and that's, that is, that is literally straight out of Juvenal, and it's one of the funniest, most blazing of the satires. If you can't laugh at something that's negative and horrible and take down the evil person, which, I mean, Black Rider is basically a takedown song, um, and it's a highly, it feels to me like a highly political takedown song. But if you can't, the best way to take someone down is not to rage at them and not to, you know, try to throw stones at them or, or throw them. It's to laugh at them. Mm-hmm. It's to laugh at them, you know? Well, and uh, I could threaten The, uh, you know, and they always used to talk about, Bob being so funny when he first went to Greenwich Village, is, besides his mannerisms like Charlie Chaplin, he was just really uh, quick off the cuff. And, uh, you know, you can listen to some of those early shows, those early tapes. Uh, but mm-hmm. I, I, I love I love the, uh, the, the Bob Fast, the radio unnameable. Those are great. Yeah. The, uh, there was a great line that Dylan said uh, at the end of the sh- that nine or ten show run at the Beacon. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of it or not, but Martin Scorsese was there one night, and Bob goes, Marty, he goes, yeah, your next movie sh- should make should be about me. He goes, call it The First Temptations of Christ. I was there that night. That was the, 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 audience, the audience was kind of frozen to the spot, and then everyone just guffawed. It's like, is it okay to laugh? Is it okay to laugh? Oh, oh look, Mar- Martin Scorsese's laughing, so we can laugh. Yeah, he was... Uh, it was really, it was really kind of, it was kind of sweet and gracious. He he called out um, friends. He called out uh, performers who were there. Um, one night, Steve Earle was there, 
And I had been, I'd been chatting with Steve before the show. Uh, he used to be a neighbor of ours up in Woodstock. And, uh, we went in and, and then, you know, you heard this from the stage with Steve Earl and he, you know, complimented him and, and, you know, mentioned the fact that he was there. And after the show, I saw Steve leaving and you never saw a bigger smile on a guy's face. People were kind of greeting him from across the lobby and waving to him, like giving him thumbs ups and, and he was, you know, here he is, a spectacular performer, musical celebrity in his own right, a brilliant singer-songwriter, really one of one of my favorite ones for many years. I love and Steve. And here he was, just, just kind of, he was just grinning, he was grinning like a little kid. Kid in the candy you know, store. Bob, Bob gave him a shout-out from the stage, but it's, you know, it's fine. It's appreciate his humor and appreciate his generosity, because Dylan... You know, Dylan is Dylan has been for so many years uh, criticized for being, you know, some kind of an isolationist, and you know, crank won't give interviews, won't do this, won't do that. You know, he's inaccessible. He makes himself inaccessible. The man is outstanding in front of an audience most of his time. You know? mm-hmm. How can you how can how can you call him inaccessible when he's out there, you know, playing just for you? out there on the stage and he's you know by by all report when people do you know kind of run into him when people do you know try to approach him and speak to him he's you know he's he's polite and gracious black rider black rider you've been living too hard been up all night, have to stay on your guard. The path that you're walking, too narrow to walk. Every step of the way. Welcome back to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metzer. We just listened to Bob Dylan's song, Black Rider, off his great new record, Rough and Rowdy Ways. And here for the whole night tonight to tell us about it, Professor Ann Margaret Daniel. So, Ann, tell us a little bit more about this song, Black Rider. Um, black rider, black rider. It's, it's a, it's kind of a, it's, it's lyrically, it's really keen and intense and it has a lot of, uh, it has a lot of hymn-like, uh, religious symbolism and moments in it. You know, you've seen the great world and you've seen the small, you fell into the fire and you're eating the flame. What an image that is. Yeah. Better seal your lips if you want to stay in the game. Be reasonable, mister. Be honestly fair. Let all your earthly thoughts be a prayer. I mean, that sounds like it's something out of out of a, a Puritan lyric, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. But then you, you you press on and you get the, it's got kind of a wild western idiom in it. The black rider all dressed in black. Um, I'm walking away. Go home to your wife. Stop visiting mine. So it, it takes like a western slash country turn, and and this uh, whoever this black rider is, um, they've been on a job too long. You know, get away from me, says the speaker. Don't hug me. Don't flatter me. Don't turn on the charm. I'll take a sword and hack off your arm. <laughs> it's 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 like it's like a medieval battle, mm-hmm. right? It's um, it's a song that, like all the songs on this album, has got so much packed into it, so many different layers, and it 
listening to these songs in a good way, not in a bad way, but in a good way, it makes me feel like when I was a little kid watching one of those great National Geographic specials where they were doing something like digging up Pompeii. Or mm-hmm. they were they were doing an archaeological dig somewhere, and they were going through and uncovering like like digging up Troy when Schliemann discovered Troy, and he discovered the layers of like cities on top of cities, and gets down to the bottom where there's a mosaic floor, and somebody with a brush is very carefully brushing off this floor and seeing the pictures that come out. Listening to these songs, it's the layers are just so immense and so intense and also so beautiful, you know, that that when you get through to the end of the song, it's like you've done that kind of uh, like a mental excavation as you're listening to it. Because as he sings the lines, you think of other things in your head, you make your own connections. At the end of Jimmy Reed, the first time I listened to it, I, you know, I jumped up out of my chair because you couldn't sit still and listen to it. And so I was sort of up bopping around and tapping my feet. And I was just blown away by that last line where the last, the last phrase is down in Virginia. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I was, I was born and raised in Virginia. And so was and I. I was so that. was I. Well, oh, cool. I was loving that song so much that it literally, it was like bringing it all back home. I just, I, I, I let out this giggle. I just started laughing. I was like, there was this reward at the end of the song that felt like it was just for me. And of course, <laughs> I knew full, I knew full well that it wasn't. Right. But it's, talk about containing multitudes. That that's a great way to think of not just the one song entitled "I Contain Multitudes," but every song on this record. I mean, "Murder Most Fell" pretty much stands alone with how much it contains. Um, but there's there's something there that every single person listening to every single song, it's going to hit them differently. It's going to have a different resonance for them, and it is a very rare work of art that makes a lot of people standing in front of it, walking around it, reading it, or listening to it, all feel something and feel something different. Yeah, and and feel like it was... That is what Dylan, that's what what Shakespeare can do in a play. That is what Caravaggio can do in a painting. And that's what Bob Dylan does in a song, Hmm. you know? And and you're from the state of Virginia. I'm from Virginia, Minnesota. And we both (laughs) felt kinship with that line. Uh, which I think is, uh, I think Jimmy Reed had uh, a song called Going to Virginia, if I'm not, uh, oh, yeah. if I'm thinking right. So uh, we got a couple minutes left. We got to have you on again because we're only about barely two thirds w- uh, the way through Bob Dylan's Rough and Rowdy Ways. And I want to talk about uh, those Beacon shows uh, that you and I were both oh, at. I mean, that's it's, that could be its own show. But uh, in about uh, a minute or less, uh, somebody that's going to hear, somebody that's, let's say, 15, 16, 17 years old, never heard Bob Dylan, here, and Professor Daniel going to give this, uh, this, this is your class assignment for the weekend, what would you tell them to expect? Oh, uh it's too easy, isn't it, to say I would expect the unexpected. Um, no, the expected is something keenly, finely, really good. Um, if you've never listened to Bob Dylan before, expect to hear a song, and you can pick any song, really. 
you can pick any song. Um, go to your go to your Apple or go to your Spotify. Go to whatever your music source of listening is, and just pick. You know, just put in Bob Dylan and pull out their recommended top ten. Well, say you've never heard him before, and that's what most people would do. Oh, who is this guy? We're going to Google him, and here's some songs that kick up. You know, invariably, it's going to be like a Rolling Stone. It'll be Tangled Up in Blue. It'll be Murder Most Foul. It'll be some of his new songs that are that are in your list. Um, just sit down and listen. Have time and space to really listen to both the music and the lyrics and to think about them. As you listen to the song, don't don't slam it on for the first time when you're in a crowded place with people talking around you. Um, you need to be able to pay attention. Um, attention must be paid, and that's the way to I think first listen to a Bob Dylan song. You're gonna enjoy it. You're gonna listen to it more than once. I can guarantee you that. And as you said earlier in this broadcast. Um, Every time you listen, you hear something different. You hear a different line emphasized. And that's what's so great about hearing him live in concert these days with the new musical arrangements that he and his band have done um, and occasionally the uh, the celebrated lyrical shifts that he's doing. Um, you, you hear the song in a new way, and you get something different out of it that informs you, that increases your enjoyment, that that makes it a fluid and changeable and constantly fresh and evolving work of art, not something that's just frozen on on a piece of vinyl that was pressed in, you know, 1968 or 1972 or 1993. Ann-Margaret Daniel, uh, this is, you're always so fascinating to talk to, and uh, we're going to have you on again in the near future so we can tie the first and second episodes with the professor and uh, uh, and then get into the rest of Rough and Roddy Ways. And then there's probably a fourth episode where I just want to talk to you about Dylan's place in American culture and his place as a performing artist because those shows at the Beacon and the one I saw in Mankato, Minnesota uh, mm. were... Bob, it's, uh, Paul, were, it's always a real pleasure to be on here and talk about Bob with you. Yeah. Well, those shows were Shakespearean. Uh, uh, nothing yeah. less than that. And thanks for your time. Give. Uh, I'm glad your mother's getting better. Give her my absolute best, and we will stay in touch. Thank you kindly, Paul. Really appreciate it. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. The show is produced by Paul Metza, engineered by Patrick Skillia. We'd like to thank our guest, Professor Ann-Margaret Daniel. Track her down. She's got books. She's got things to read. And she's got a lot to say. Daniel is spelled D-A-N-I-E-L. Ann-Margaret Daniel is her website. We want everybody out there to be safe, sound, wear your mask, wash your hands. Follow me at paulmetza.com. And like my dad used to tell me, remember to be kind and make someone happy.